My name is Helen Kim Nowak, pastor of Community Life, um, and we've been in a series here looking at three key offices that were in the Old Testament, that of the prophet, the priest, and now today we'll be looking at the king. And each of these, when they were filled by human beings, they ended up becoming corrupt and twisted and not really what the original design was. So prophets were supposed to speak the words of God on his behalf, but oftentimes they would begin to say things that would please the ears of the people listening to them. Priests were meant to minister and connect people to God through a ministry of reconciliation, worshiping and sacrificing, but often they would become corrupt with the sacrifices they offer, even looking to take their own advantage with what they were offering. And then kings were meant to rule as God led, but they would use the power for their own behalf. And today we look at how we continue this series of looking at how Jesus fulfills each of these three key offices in a perfect way to show us what was really meant when he calls us as his followers to become prophet, priests, and people in his kingdom. So today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 28, and hear the word of the Lord. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we just come to you, King of kings and Lord of lords, and we're thankful this morning to have this time to look at your word together and we invite you, Holy Spirit, would you open our minds, our hearts, our lives to encounter you in this word so that we may understand what kind of a king you are and what kind of a people you are calling us to be as people belonging to your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So for seven years of my life, I was working in the nonprofit sector um, in the development side, meaning that I was writing grants and you know, putting together a lot of different kinds of fundraisers and especially an annual gala that would help secure a lot of the income that we needed to, for our budget each year. And in this position, especially at a gala, you know, which is fancy, here's a little picture to show you to get a taste of the evening. You know, everyone's dressed in their very best. It's like a beautiful like, collection of people that are arriving and the silverware is out. Everything is sparkling and wonderful. And to prepare for this, you know, we would look for donors at multiple tiers, whether that was the highest tier might be 50,000 or more, and then we would work our way down to 25, 10, 5, etc. And it was just amazing to me that we would find donors who could reach into their pockets and they were willing to give so extravagantly 
to give a gift sometimes annually of 50,000 or any of the other tiers. And of course, you know, coming to a gala like this, like it's a fancy event, black tie usually. And so, you know, if you are giving at the higher levels, you get certain perks. Um, you get VIP status, you know, meaning you could enter in a little bit earlier, get to meet and greet with our awardees. Um, you would often get served first in the meal and your table was usually right in front of the stage instead of in the wee dark corners in the room. And so there was something that came with giving a great deal. But what struck me even more was, you know, not just how beautiful the event was or that people could give like this, but that those who gave at the highest levels often did not feel the cost of their gift. Um, a lot of them would attend multiple events, giving just as generously to those multiple events and still not feel the cost. I mean, there was a very deep pocket there. And it was just amazing that I was like, wow, how is there so much money? <laughs> but there was one donor that stuck with me in all of that time. And she was a woman that cared deeply for women survivors of domestic violence. And I, that was one of the organizations I worked for. And so one of her things was she committed to herself that every year she would take our staff out to eat. We weren't paid very well, but we all cared about the cause. So we were working for this nonprofit, pulling a lot of hours, and she just wanted to treat us out. So every year, without fail, she would call us up, say, when is a date that all of you guys can be free? And she would take us all out to eat. On top of that, every year she committed to giving at our annual gala of $5,000. And this was costly to her. This woman did not have $5,000, so what she would do was she would scrimp and save. She would eat out less. She didn't really buy stuff for herself. Even if I hung out with her personally one-on-one, -on -one, she'd be like, let's go out to eat. And we'd end up going to like a little food court or even a deli. I was like, I thought we are going out. Like, oh, this is your definition of out, got it. Uh, and so I was like, wow. But then I saw how she gave and I said, wow, this woman really makes a priority to give generously but her gift was a rare one amongst all those donors. It cost her. The gift that she gave cost her deeply. It changed her life so that she could give. And so in our passage today, we look at this picture and we're gonna be looking at what being a king for Jesus meant and what it means for us to be part of a kingdom and what power really looks like. You know, so I have a question for you this morning is, when you think of power, what comes to mind? What do you want if you have power? We all have power as human beings. We're given power and dominion over creation. We all have all kinds of different levels of power as members of a family, as siblings, as a coworker, in the kind of work that we do. There are different kinds of power that we all have. So when you think of power, what pulls at you? What comes to mind? In this verse, you know, we see that power is something, you know, that they were seeing all around them, just as we do today in the officials, the government, you know. And power, there's an interesting and telling dynamic between power and suffering. And power is often in our world something that is used as a means to get as far away as we can from suffering. You know, it pulls us into greater comfort, luxury, security, and then there's a lot of other people as we increase our power to do the things that we didn't really want to do and take care of things for us and make our desires happen. But James and John, of course, wanted that, as we probably all do. Who wants to run towards suffering? Like, yes, give me more suffering. You know, we all wanna go as far as we can from suffering, and often power is looked at as a means to do so. And so James and John wanted that, 
And so they're asking for the left and their right hand seats of Jesus. They have heard that Jesus is about to enter his kingdom. I mean, they heard about his death, but somehow they passed over that part and went right to, and then he's going to come back to life. They're like, yes, Jesus' kingdom is about to come, and let's ask boldly. I want that VIP access card that you put in that slot in the elevator that allows you into the top penthouse. I want that window office next to Jesus's that looks out at Central Park. You know, so they want, they're, they're not going to miss out on this opportunity. So they ask him, but Jesus pauses them and says, okay, I get it. I know when you look all around, you see these Gentile officials, the high officials lording it over. They're using their power and they're just using it over people. And so power is about domination in that scenario, right? There's a use over people. A typical org chart looks like that. There's someone at the top and their power is all over all those below them. That is what power looks like. And often it's a zero-sum game in that either you have power or you don't. And if you have, don't have the power, you're the one serving and the one paying the cost often, or you're the one with the power and someone else gets to pay the cost. And so it's a zero-sum and who wants to be the one that's paying the cost? So James and John are like, not me. You know, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, choose us. We can, we can pay the price. We, you know, we'll be at your right and your left. And he says, I don't think you know what you're asking. My power is not that kind of power. It doesn't come with a chauffeur. There's no padded corner office. You know, there's not that kind of luxury. He says here later in this passage that we read, not so with you, not that lording over. Instead, whoever wants to become great must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as a son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And in doing this, Jesus totally flips the script of what was commonly accepted as a view of power. He's talking about servants and slaves here, and they were the two lowest positions in Jewish society. Who wanted to be that? But he says, greatness is those who serve and who are the slaves. He connects greatness and power with that of using, choosing to use your time and your service to be a servant and a slave. This is not talking about giving up power. It's choosing to use the power. It's not giving away power as if you have none left if you're a servant or slave. It's about choosing to use the power you have to become a servant and a slave. And so that is a picture that Jesus paints and says, rethink, you don't know what you're asking. You know, when you look at this picture, this is not a domination thing, but it's about being a servant. And whatever feel, you know, sector of society we are, I don't think anyone in here is a king, but whether you're at the top, the lowest washing of feet, we all have power. And the question is, how do you view your power? Is it a way to get what you want? or a means to get others to a better place. Wherever you are right now, as you're thinking of the power that you have as a parent in a family, as someone in a school system, you know, how do you view your power? Is it a way to get what you want? You're heading on up, or is it a means to get others to a better place? The kingdom of God is marked not by investing in me and mine and building that and building that and building that, 
but you and yours and looking for others. And so Jesus, you know, this is a hard invitation, right? It's not what James and John were thinking were gonna come with following Jesus and having power to reign. But we see it lived out in the life of Jesus. He's not just saying this and describing this as if it's a beautiful moving picture of power through service. A few chapters ahead in Matthew 27, we see the Roman soldiers and they're surrounding Jesus. And they're mocking him and scoffing at him and they're twisting together a bunch of thorns to make into a crown. And they take that crown of thorns and then they press it onto the head of Jesus. And Jesus sits there and he receives his crown and they're laughing because they think this is ridiculous. This guy, hail, king of the Jews. And they're making fun of this man because he's so vulnerable. He has no power. They do whatever they like with him. They're putting this crown of thorns on him. How could he be king? But the crazy thing is, in that moment, little did they know that the one that they crowned, that this was a real coronation, the one with ultimate power was sitting there receiving this because he is king and chose to use his power to serve. He came on our behalf. And so as a making fun and thinking that he's nobody, the real king was receiving this crown of thorns because that's why he came, to serve. And so they see this and they have no idea what's happening. A little bit later, Jesus is nailed to the cross. And that moment of death, you think this is the end. What hope is there? And it looks like utter defeat. But Philippians 2 paints us a very different picture of what's happening on that cross as Jesus dies. It says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That moment when Jesus died on the cross is precisely the moment he became king. His death made him Lord over all. Because he was obedient to death, Jesus gave him the name that is above all names. Death, power. It's something that we never think of. We think power always has to be some sort of dominion over dominating over. This is crazy, but that is a cheap form of power by human beings who want to control by what they see. Real power, kingdom power, is what Jesus exemplifies, which is that in dying to self and using our power for the sake of others, life happens. Oppression gets broken, strongholds get broken because there is a surrender in that use of power. As Jesus hangs there, there's two men, one on his right and on his left. And if you remember in the story, James and John's mother had come to them, come to him and said, please grant that my sons will sit on your right and your left. And he said, you don't know what you're asking. And she's standing there in this scene in chapter 27, and she sees a person hanging on his right, hanging on his left, and it's not in a cushiony office, it's on a cross, and there's Jesus, his throne is a cross. And she realizes, wow, what was I asking? Am I ready for this? And for all of us called to follow Jesus, that is the question. As we look at our savior, our king, whose way is the cross, his invitation to all of us is, will you come and follow me? And his way is not luxury, 
comfort, security, but it always takes away of the cross. When we compare the world's version of power and Jesus's, it looks quite different. If you can put up that table. So in the world, it's about power over others. The, the table, the two things that we compare. Um, it's about power over others, and it's about what you can do to distance yourself from suffering. But with Jesus, power is to serve others, and it always involves suffering because, unfortunately, in our fallen world, while we live here, one day it won't be so. That's the good news we await. But while we're here, already and not yet, kingdom come, um, it always involves suffering because it's often a choice between whether we choose our pleasure and someone pays the cost, or we pay the cost so that others can be empowered and experience life. Suffering is a part of following Jesus, and he calls us into the way of the cross. There's also a cost because we're coming against, as we're seeking to build out and follow Jesus and bring the kingdom of God on earth, we're coming across very real powers and principalities in our world that seek to bring oppression, that, choose to, that seeks to keep people distant from God. It's a very real spiritual war. And so there is a cost to be paid for those of us who want to follow Jesus. And throughout church history, though, when we look, it's been a powerful witness. Whenever people of God choose to really follow in this cruciform, cross-shaped way. In Acts 2, in the early church, we see people generously just giving their possessions left and right to people who had need. They have property and they're not thinking, oh, what a great inheritance this will be for my great-grandchildren. Let me build up a nice plot and put it into investments and all this. They're like, oh my gosh, you have a need. Let me sell my land. What a generosity. It was costly to them. It cost them something. They no longer had that land after they gave it away, but people had a place to live. Jackie Pullinger is a missionary you may know of. She left um, and arrived in Hong Kong with $10 in her pocket to serve that area as a primary school teacher. And she purposely entered the area because there was, it was one of the biggest opium producing centers run by a really large and dangerous Chinese criminal gang. And what she did there was she started seeing the people and praying with them, and she built a rehabilitation center for addicts, prostitutes, criminals. And even back in December 2007, there were still 200 people receiving care and being set free. Lives had been set free, but her journey was costly. She left family, she left security, it was dangerous. But because of that cost, life came. People who had given up hope found hope. International Justice Mission may be an organization you know of, and it's one of the ones that I just love hearing their stories. But they're in 14 countries where their goal and mission is to hire and partner with different people in the countries as well as outside, and hire some of the best top lawyers who could be living very comfortable lives elsewhere, but they have chosen to join this organization. And they come against modern-day slavery, which is very real and very prevalent across our world and to help women and children who have been abused and to come against police power when it's abused against the poor, when it's used against the poor. And so they've been winning court cases. Sometimes people have ended up losing their lives because they're raising a voice in a system of oppression. But there's something about these stories, I don't know about for you, but for me, when I hear them, it's powerful. It's, it's so powerful because it's costly. 
that these people put such a faith in Jesus and his way that they're willing to pay this cost. They trust that the way of Jesus, which is through death to life, for the sake of others, to use power not for my gain and for this temporary world, but onto others so others can live better and find freedom and hope. There's something so attractive and beautiful about that. There's something that's unlike any kind of great luxurious thing you can have through earthly power. And it's harder and harder to see these stories and hear them. And I wonder if in our Western world that is the case. Because if you look at our culture, who's at the center? Me and mine and I. Customized for me, what I desire, my goals, my dreams. And we cannot be following a king who gave his life and say, I'll take that and I'll have this. The luxury and the cross doesn't really go together. One has to be given up if we're following a king who lived on a cross. So a question I want to end with is where is the cross in the use of your power? Every single person in this room, we all have power. Power to influence others around us. Even as a consumer, we have power. Where is the cross in your power? Every day, name, wake up and name the power that you have that day. And as you look at your power, ask, do you increase the suffering of others or do you suffer for others to be empowered? An example of what this might look like is in the case of purchasing clothing. There's something called fast fashion, right, where hundreds and like quantities of clothing are just whipped out really quickly to fill our retail stores. The reason why a lot of the stores in our shopping malls are able to have such quick trends and new things constantly is because there are actually factories filled with workers um, and they're called sweatshops. And so there's kids in there as well, working 12-hour days, getting minimum wage. Some live on less than a dollar a day and some don't get paid at all. And we don't see that because we just see the shiny store and of course it looks slick, but behind that are people paying a cost so that we have that. So considering our power could be to do the research of what stores are fast fashion and what is producing more sustainable and fair products. And it's costly because it takes time to research. It's often not, you know, the H&M purchase of $13 for a whole sweater, you know? It's so cheap and looks so great. It's like, well, this is thrifty living. It's not because someone's paying the cost. And usually, Buying fair trade is a little bit more expensive than other things, but it's worth it if we, this is a way that we can practically use our power to lift others up. And so I just bring that to you. Something that I've been wrestling with is me, I'm on Google a lot, um, looking at different resources, trying to find where can I buy something that I can feel good about actually purchasing. Um, and my last question is, how can you use your power that you have named on behalf of others? And Psalm 146, seven to nine, gives us a picture of what that could be. If you're not sure how to use that power, consider who our Lord is. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. We have the hungry around us. We have prisoners around us. We have all of these around us. How can you use your power today?
As we look at Jesus, who is a perfect prophet, priest, and king, it's not just about him, but as his people, we are called to speak words of truth. It's a costly way to live. Speak words of truth rather than pleasing others sometimes. Call out the best rather than calling out our anger. You know, as priests, we are called to minister and connect with those who are disconnected from God. Who do you know around you that is disconnected, that God is inviting you to be a priestly presence? And as people in his kingdom, to use the power, to look at it, recognize we all have power. Don't pretend you don't have it. We all have this power and ask, how can I use it to empower others, to serve others so that they may have life, even if it means cost to myself. And I understand this is a hard message. It's costly. But our freedom was costly and Jesus paid it. And it seems just right that as we follow him in this world we also pay that cost and Romans 8 17 gives us this great verse that now if we are children this promise now if we are children then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory amen I just want to give a time to just pause I recognize it's a hard word and just to come before God and I just invite you to close your eyes or just take some time to be silent and still in the presence of God. What is the power that you have? It may be in multiple different areas. Maybe purchasing power, power in your family, in your workplace wherever you are, and how is God inviting you? What has it cost you? And how is God inviting you to see the cross and where he wants you to give? Let's just take some time and connect with God around that. in the Psalms, it says that when the righteous flourish, the people rejoice. And the reason is that when people follow you wholeheartedly, they are willing to do crazy things at cost of themselves for the sake of others. So those surrounding rejoice when they see truth and justice, when they see that there is no longer a market for fast fashion. Lord, we just pray today, Holy Spirit, convict our hearts. We don't want to say that and praise and say that you are Lord of our lives and not give thought to our ways. But Lord, we want to follow you wholeheartedly. And so Lord, would you show us today, Holy Spirit, show us where our power is and how we can use it to serve others. Lord, if we have any fear in this way, would you show us, even as we test it this way, the life and the joy that comes miraculously, even in times of death. Lord, I pray that you would set us on fire, that we would be a church living on purpose, entering into darkness and areas where darkness has a stronghold, 
where we are just disarming the powers and principalities as we use our power to serve others. Bless us, Lord, and give us wisdom. We thank you for your example and the price you paid on the cross for our freedom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing this song in response together. I'm going to lead us in this chorus of All Hail King Jesus one more time. And as Pastor Helen preached, I was just blown away by this powerful statement that we worship and we serve a God who uses his power to serve others. It's really a powerful and really profound truth. And so let's sing this chorus together. All Hail King Jesus.
I know today's word is a hard word and it's a sobering word, but know that, you know, the power that dominates is a cheap copy of what real power is. And as we use our power to serve and uplift others, even at cost to ourselves, we will experience the reign of God, real power, real joy, real love. And so I invite you, those of you who are watching online, to join us for our sermon discussion right after. There should be a button if you scroll down below on our website, or there's a link in the chat. Um, And I just want to invite our altar prayer team to come to my right. Um, And we need, as believers, to pray together. Amen? We need one another. And so if there's something you would like to share with our prayer team to be prayed for, I invite you to come up after our service. And if today, whether you're watching online or you're here in this room, perhaps you have never said yes to Jesus, never asked him to be Lord. And today, you know, this is a hard ask, but Jesus invites you to come and follow him in this hard way, to experience real life in your own life and then to bring that life to others. So if that's you today and you wanna make that choice to follow Jesus, I invite you to come speak with any of us here and the staff, if you're in this room, or simply text yes to Jesus by using this number 718-424-0122. And now as we close our service, I invite you all to open your hands to God. And we do this as a posture of receiving because we know that we don't have anything to give unless God fills us first. And so brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and be gracious to you. And may his make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. And as you walk out of these doors and from this online gathering, may you experience real power as you show up as servants of the King, using your power to overturn the tables of oppression, of injustice, and representing him through service. I bless you all in the strong, mighty, name above all names, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the name of Jesus. Amen.